Welcome everybody to the Deep Kind Podcast. This is Joe, John, and we're joined by Seth, and we're here to talk about what a fish knows and all things fishes. So hi everybody, welcome, welcome. Hello. Hello, hello, nice to be here. So this is going to be a little bit more of a loose, casual episode. Um, Seth and I read the book, John has read it vicariously through us, and we're just going to start <laughs> off by sharing our thoughts and transition more into talking about fishes and sea life and whatever else we spiral out of control into. A little background behind this. This book originally was going to be part of the media group, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, had chosen this book as uh, a subject for one of our vegan media clubs, um, but uh, the coronavirus forced us to try and do it virtually, uh, but that appeared to not be an incredibly popular option, so we sort of um, decided to do a podcast about it instead. Yeah, and do you want to give us a brief synopsis of the book? Well, <laughs> a synopsis of the book, Joe. Thank you for giving me that task. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it's a, it is a great book if you want to know a lot about fishes, but it's not an easy book to sum up because it's it's about it contains about 130 different examples of um, how great fishes are, things fishes know, things fishes do, ways fishes live, um, and can really make you feel that there's a lot you didn't know about fishes and, and fish life and can also make you sort of understand that they are more like us than we might have realized. But there's it's a hard to sum up because there's just so much in it. It's densely packed with different uh, studies and experiments and um, examples of th interesting things fishes do, ways they live, um, and just a whole lot and we can talk about specific examples then in a little bit. But yeah, that's that's what the book is. I'd sum it up as fish are awesome is the <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Summary. That's a little bit more succinct than mine. Yeah. Basically the way I look at it, it's almost like you took a textbook or a reference book on fishes and it's, you broke it or you pushed it together into a narrative almost less referential format so it doesn't you can't just look things up it's not broken down into bullets or charts it's just this guy essentially let me tell you about why fish are awesome reason number one and then it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on and on yeah, spoiler Wait. alert i didn't like the book that much <laughs> i, I it, it started to get a bit um repetitive to me yeah like here's proof that you know fishes can remember things and then here's another example of it and then here's another example of it and another example when they were all very interesting but after a while it started to be like okay i you're preaching to the choir already here i can't wait to read this book guys <laughs> <laughs> the um, movie's much better <laughs> yeah yeah the movie yeah but, so the book is called what a fish knows and it breaks it down into multiple um, sort of sections like the first one is what a fish perceives then what a fish feels what a fish thinks what a fish knows how a fish breeds which is very interesting stuff um, but to me the the real takeaway is the title is what a fish knows but i didn't really come away with an answer to that um, i'm not sure that we know what a fish knows we know what fishes do you know we know how they act and what we think they probably know but just as with all animals or even our fellow human beings um you know we don't really know what they know yeah that's something i left out me too and i've been doing a little research and i was listening to a podcast actually about 
Coco the Gorilla. The podcast was not a vegan podcast. It was called um, You're Wrong About. And they were essentially saying how everything we did with Coco the Gorilla was kind of bullshit. Can I swear on my own podcast? I can now. New rule. You, can uh, yeah, I mean, you make the rules. <laughs> and um, they're saying how the way she used sign language wasn't to communicate language. It was essentially responding to physical signals and signs, almost like you pick up the ball, the dog thinks you're playing ball. It's not the dog thinks you're speaking, let's go play ball. It's right. You right. see something, he reacts to the stimulus. And something he did in this book was, oh, well, the person walks home and sees the owner of the house and the fish in his tank goes up to the glass, is super excited to see the person. It's like, no, well, the fish knows that when this individual who looks like this walks in the front door, that's a signal that's about to be fed. He or she is right. about to be fed. Something that the author tries to do a lot is anthropomorphize fish and really frame them in terms of our human ideas of consciousness and thought. And I don't quite buy it. I, not to say that fish don't think and feel in some capacity, but the way they do most likely is not how we as people do it. I agree. And But, but here's a sort of a counterpoint to that. That the author of what a fish knows does try to anthropomorphize fish, sure, but at the very least, that should succeed in putting fishes on the level of other animals that we that we do afford, you know, empathy to. So, so the the fish comes to the glass of the fish tank. Maybe it's not thinking like a human, but it, it, maybe it's thinking like a dog its responses might not have the sort of depth of feeling that we would have, but maybe they have the sort of depth of feeling of other animals that other people are more likely to afford those kinds of, of thoughts to. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, there's, he definitely tries to anthropomorphize, definitely tries to frame fish in ways that appeal to humans and really makes us think about them. You're right. As more than just, things you catch on the end of hooks while fishing with granddaddy in the old lake. So um, those were my basically just bird's eye view thoughts. And Seth, do you have anything to add to just before we dive into some of the more nitty gritty things in here? Oh, no, no, nothing else. On a, on a, hey, who's got the loud cat? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cat. He always waits till we start talking. It's, it's all Joe. <laughs> it happens every episode the cat will just start meowing like he'll be quiet the whole time before we start recording and then meow as soon as we hit play <laughs> oh my yeah he's quite the talker i don't know if the author mentions this in the book is he vegan i can't remember uh he, he never says it but i think it's almost certain from some of the things that that are said especially in the back the the, the last section where he wraps it all up um the implication that animals should not be eaten at all is uh, is in there somewhere. I think I might have highlighted it, but no, he never <clears throat> never uses the word vegan. That's for sure. I would be interested to hear if he ate non fishes but didn't eat fishes, <laughs> like a, like the opposite of a pescatarian. Yes, a terrestrial terrian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wish I had highlighted the, the parts exactly, but I'm I'm fairly certain it's it's hinted at like if you are a vegan, it's kinda like a vegan dog whistle a couple spots in there. One of the parts I did highlight right near the end of the book, and it's just about fishes in general, but um he says it is easy to condemn the cruelty and waste rampant in the commercial fishing industries, but consumers must acknowledge their complicity 
In any supply and demand economy, demand is the fuel that drives the engine of supply. When we eat fishes, we fund their capture. It's kind of like, it sounds like vegan or animal rights talk, but it's just about eating fishes. But if you think that, if you're somebody who's trying to argue that fishes are worthy of consideration like other animals, and you're saying you shouldn't eat fishes, then, you know, it's sort of uh, A plus B equals C kind of deal. Chat, they have a coherent way to frame my thoughts in a way that's not just jumping around. As I was reading through the book and looking at it, and now I'm thinking about it a little bit more in depth, is that something we as people do is we keep saying fishes like that encapsulates every kind of fish and they're all so similar and so uniform. But as you read the book, they're so different and there's so many different kinds. And right. it would be like if I was talking about terrestrial animals and I said, yeah, the the walkers or the breathers <laughs> you right. know but that could include mice it could include insects it could include john it could include <laughs> birds and they're all so different and when you put them all together into one lump it really does not do the diversity of the fishes forgive me high school biology i don't know if they're species kingdom phylum genus or whatever but the whole underwater life force or circle of life justice yeah, absolutely, because you can say something like, you know, fishes are so much more smart than they get credit for, but n- not all of them. You know, like like there there are some really, really, really smart fishes, and there's some fishes that just, you know, kind of bumping into things because there's like <laughs> a thousands of different kinds of fishes. So you can't really make a blanket statement, um, although for the record, I don't think intelligence level has anything to do with how you treat something, but yeah, I'm just saying you can't. Yeah, you certainly can't make a blanket statement about fishes in general. Although I think the reason we have to talk about them as one large mass is that that's how everyone else is thinking about them. You know, like everyone says fish can't feel pain. Not not everyone says that, but that's a thing that gets said. And when they say that, they're talking about every fish in the world. And, And so in order to start fighting back against that, we have to fight. You have to start, you know, from a generalized point of view. Yeah, and I personally don't have enough knowledge about every single kind of fishes. <laughs> right. If you notice, we're saying the word fishes instead of fish. That's a point he makes very early on in the book that, similar to what Seth was saying, that he used the word fish, it generalizes it too much and really reduces down the identity of these singular beings and living, feeling creatures into a unfeeling mass or a textbook label or just some word and dehumanizes i know we're just talking about anthropomorphizing <laughs> but it devalues their um, individuality, identity, individuality. Right. there we go so he and i mean this does happen with a few you know land animals you know, you know don't say deer when you're talking about more than one deer i mean they're deers you know that, so it's the same it's the same general thing and and we do that because we hunt them you know so it's it's a way to to take away their their status as individual beings and, and make them into a herd animal I never even thought. I thought that was just a grammar thing. All right, now now I know. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking the same thing as you guys kept saying fishes, and I was like, I, for years I always thought it was just fish. But yeah, like hearing you guys talking about that, like just now, it's like whoa. Like I never thought of it that way. That's wild. Well, and you you will find people that tell you it's grammatically incorrect, and just because right. something's been just because something's been formalized like that doesn't mean that we have to follow that. Right. Also, I think this should be a drinking game of how many times we've said fishes so far. <laughs> Along those lines, 
terms like beef and pork and all that, it's a similar idea where it removes the identity of the living creature from the inanimate or general unfeeling mass that we use to justify our inhumane actions. Right. And in the book, a couple of times, the author refers to the eating of fish flesh instead of just the eating fish, which is another reason I'm pretty sure he's vegan. Now, does this talk about like sharks and stuff like that in the book? Does it mention sharks at all? Yeah, I mean, the sharks do get mentioned, yeah, but kind of just very briefly. Okay. I, I, I suspect it's just, you know, the world already has enough interest and knowledge of sharks, mm-hmm. and, and people are interested in sharks, and, you know, there's shark conservation movements and things. You know, I mean, they have, a like, whole, they have a whole week dedicated to themselves. Yeah, so. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we need to really... I mean, yeah, we have to worry about the sharks. Right. Oh, oh sharks, we definitely but, do. I mean, yeah. they're... I was just looking up earlier today stats on sharks and the number of sharks to kill per year is insane. It's a hundred million a year. That's insane. That is insane. Oh my God. And, uh, 743 million are killed for, uh, shark fin soup. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But as far as their perception goes in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things, people are already. Right. Right. Uh, similar to what you were saying, Seth, that he doesn't talk about sharks a lot much because this book really focuses more on the fish that don't get a lo- fishes that don't get a lot of love. And this goes on with something that I say a lot is I don't really. It's not that I don't care about sharks and whales and stuff like that. It's just that when you look at the numbers and the sheer unfathomable amount, huh, unfathomable. And also, fathom is a way you measure water content. Or oh, water volume. So I see what you did there. I'm all over it. But if you look at the sheer unimaginable number of fishes that get killed, if you want to reduce animal suffering on the wide scale and really have an impact, stop making pescatarians because they're. Well, I'm being hypothetical and being a devil's advocate here just for conversation's sake, but. Stop eating fish and start looking for ways to stop killing so many of them. Because if you, with the amount of energy and money and time and publicity and resources that go into saving things like whales and sharks, if you channeled all that into saving fish or even just reducing the amount of ridiculous numbers of fish that get killed, you would reduce the overall amount of death and suffering so much more. Right. But just because sharks and whales look cooler on camera are a lot more fun to watch. <laughs> They get all the love. Yeah. Let's see. Just before, just before we get any hate mail, I do want to point out that whales are mammals and, and they're not I, fish. I was going to say it. I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> whales but, are great, but yeah, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, not fishes. I knew that just for the record, too. But this was. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of blurted it out. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, should we talk about maybe a few uh, examples from the book, Joe or John? Or do you want to uh, just keep gen- going on in, gen- in the general uh, vein? No, I'll. St- Pull out another example of, I think he's talking about when people fish and how people justify fishing even when it's catch and repeat. Or, God, this is terrible. I'm glad <laughs> to do so much editing. <laughs> so, Joe already started playing the drinking game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they do catch and release. So a lot of times people fish, and obviously since I'm the vegan in the room, they'll be telling a fishing story and look at me and go, well, I was doing catch and release, so it's okay. And this book goes into it and says... Catch and release, even on the fundamental level, is really not harmless because you're jamming, they get hooks jammed into their teeth, which essentially means they can't eat, 
puts them at a disadvantage. And it's not like they can go to the fish doctor and the fish doctor will patch them up in a little bit or they'll go home to their mommy and their mommy will give them a fish band-aid and they'll swim along okay. No, this is the wild. They need everything they can get to survive. And once they're at that disadvantage, they're done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and this comes back to the whole perception that fish don't feel pain which right. is something people will tell themselves to make it okay that they just pushed a hook through its cheek you know oh it doesn't hurt the fish but why in the world would a fish not feel pain i mean it's, that's insane to me but, but and they've done all these studies to try and prove it and show it which is just crazy because it's a living creature trying to survive in the wild if it didn't feel pain it would be an enormous problem and then he goes on to talk about how certain fish will go back to the hook again and again, showing that it's not really bad that you're fishing because they want the food and you're actually feeding them and doing them a favor. And then I think he says something along the lines of, if the fish knew that the food wasn't going to be there forever and had the option to, it's like almost one of the nests is where two in the bush type deal, where this fish does not have a fridge at home. Where it can just go to and say, you know what? I don't want a hook in my mouth. I'm going to go back to my fish fridge and get some food. Right. <laughs> For all it knows, it could die the next second. So it's going to take whatever food it can get as long as it knows it won't die. So, And just because you're feeding it food in a way that doesn't kill it, you're still hurting it. And you're still using it for your own pleasure. And there are countless examples of fish fishes that do avoid something that had hurt them in the past. So it's not like... Yeah, if, if fishes just mindlessly go back to a place they got hurt to eat, there's there's uh, in the book, you know, probably like 30 examples of studies or observations where fishes did avoid something that hurt them in the past. Yeah, I mean, humans do that, too. So, <laughs> yeah, that's why pain exists. Right? right. Any animal with a brain that has the capacity to process sensations does that because pain is your body's response to things that will kill it in the long run. And, and to, to, to piggyback off of that, and I don't know if that's a vegan saying or not, but to <laughs> piggyback off of that, um, in, in, the, in the book there's one, a couple examples of uh, fishes clearly experiencing the pleasure of, of touch or physical sensation, which, um, let me see if I can find the great, is a great quote about how that's sort of like the flip side of pain and any, any living being that, that experiences pleasure it typically experiences pain. They're sort of like they, they exist to to drive different responses and behaviors. And so there's uh, examples of like fishes um, that uh, they like pick uh, parasites off of other fishes. But, and that's sort of how they that's their thing. That's how they get their food. And the other the fishes that are getting serviced basically um, are exhibit clear signs of experiencing the, the simple pleasure of touch. So just to throw that in there. Right, so I did an example. Seth, uh, do you have one you haven't thought before I go to my next one? Oh, good. Wait, what'd you say? Oh, I was, <laughs> um, well, I was confessing my undying love for you, but when I have to repeat I myself it. now, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was want to say, if, do you have an example of something specific that leapt out to you? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. I thought you said you had another example. So. I do, um, but I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> but what my the thing that stuck with me the most is the example of this this fish called the tusk fish, which uh, has been observed <clears throat> using tools. So it, uh, it picks up pebbles in its mouth and swims to the clams that it's trying to open and drops them, sort of flings it at them. 
um, and it's it's on it's on video. You can find it on YouTube. Just search Tuskfish. Um, I think it was just Tuskfish tool use, and you you should find it. It's pretty extraordinary. This uh, this fish picks up these rocks. It'll swim back to this clam that is like a hundred yards away and try it out and if that pebble doesn't work it swims back finds another one maybe it's bigger maybe it needs a smaller one and it uh it's, it doesn't just use tools but um sort of changes plan whenever it doesn't work out so just to, you know not that tool use is any sort of uh, you know uh, qualifier for empathy you know I, I don't need an animal to use a tool in order for me to not eat it but it can sort of maybe that sort of thing can be used to make other people see fish in a different light. That's something that you've mentioned a couple of times that I think is worth digging into a bit is part of the harm with these kind of arguments where look how awesome fish are. We shouldn't hurt them or kill them is saying that they have to do something or fit a certain criteria to be worthy of compassion, which is right. really dangerous territory to walk into. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what we're always I always balk when people say something like, oh, pigs are smarter than dogs. And I was like, well, I'm not going to eat the dog either. You know, like what? I don't care how smart an animal is. I don't want to eat, you know, um, a shrimp, which is probably not smart. I don't know much about shrimps, but um, yeah, it's it, it. I don't I don't really understand that kind of argument unless it's I guess it's being used to try and make people see that animals are more than they think they are. I don't know. It's it is dangerous territory. I think it's something I struggle with, especially with bugs. I'm really, really trying to kill as few bugs as possible now because I'm sick of feeling like a hypocrite every time I kill a fruit fly. I mean, do they have the same capacity to feel? Does that matter? I mean, what does feeling mean for a bug anyway? What does feeling mean for a fish that we don't feature in this book that doesn't have a cute story to talk about and what a fish feels. Does that mean that it's okay to kill that one because it's small and doesn't feel a lot of stuff? And like you said, I mean, where do you draw the line? Is it, well, this fish is dumb enough that I can eat, but this one is smart, <laughs> so I can't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the stories are there to illustrate, you know, that, that these creatures or animals are more than we think they are. But to me, it's never been about pain or intelligence. I mean, I, I, I often say... Um, you know, imagine that I have a cousin you know, I, I bring to a, a party with me and I say, hey, this guy's got an, an interesting thing wrong with him. He can't feel any pain. What, what do you do? You eat that guy? I mean, is that is that your criteria? I mean, is pain, why is pain the criteria? And why is intelligence a criteria? For me, the criteria is always, is this a, a living sentient being that desires to continue living? I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to end the chance this one thing has to live. So... That, that's how I always look at it. But Seth, don't plants want to keep living too? So <laughs> <laughs> That's why I threw in sentient, Joe. I anticipated that. <laughs> but uh, there's examples of plants growing towards the light or bending away from fire. Come on, oh, man. Or trees talk plants. to each other. <laughs> screw plants. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I hate them. <laughs> my answer to that is I have to eat something. So right. might as well eat the thing that is debatably not sentient rather than the thing that definitely is sentient. Yeah. And feels the least pain or disruption or end than, you know, if you have to eat something, you know, plants seem like the obvious way to go. And your friend who doesn't feel pain you bring to the party, obviously we jam a hook in his lip and then we pull it out and throw him into your swimming pool. 
<laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, another example I thought that was just the most ridiculous thing I, I've heard in a while is the sheer amount of waste and that goes into the fishing industry. It's not grandpa sitting at the lake fishing, pulls out a fish, sticks in his bag, and does that for 100 million fish that he feeds to the world. It's just basically them dragging football-sized stadium nets across the ocean floor for hours on end. And I believe the number was 200 million pounds of bycatch is just thrown away every day from all these fishing things. That is insane. Humans can't comprehend numbers that big, even... And that's every day? Oh, man. I mean, you, you think about the amount of pain, the amount of lost life, but also just the amount of, you know, ecological impact of such a thing. Yeah, it's catastrophic, really. And even if the only fishes you eat are, let's say, humanely raised or wild-caught salmon or whatever that even means, just ones that are the, like the small farm backyard chicken equivalent of fishes... That's still perpetrating a system that says that fishes don't feel pain and they're okay to eat, which is then used as justification for the mass suffering that oftentimes accompanies these more commercial fishing industries. Yeah, so that brings up basically factory fish farming, which I think a lot of people even in the vegan community, they know a lot about you know, how chickens are factory farmed and cows are factory farmed, but I don't think there's as much of a knowledge as to how the process works for fishes, which is, of course, just as awful. Yeah, essentially there's more fishes than water in these things, and they're all on top of each other, and there's just dead fishes all over the place because if they die, they'll probably sink to the bottom or, and get covered up by the giant mass. Yeah, and you can imagine the, the amount of stress that these fish are in, and this fishes that are in in this crowded uh, tank or, or out, you know, net. Sometimes they're in a net, uh, you know, when it's, uh, you know, offshore farming. But then, of course, they start fighting each other and because they don't know what the heck's going on, and they're killing each other, and you got a lot of that going on. And I was reading into this uh, just recently. Uh, if you, you guys know about a thing called sorting in factory fish farming? I do not. So as the as the fishes grow, I mean, some of them grow faster than others, and some some stay smaller. Um, and so at a certain uh, point, they, they a lot of these factory fish farms do the sorting, where um, different a big wall basically comes up in their tank with different sized holes, and the larger ones will fall through the larger ones, the smaller ones will fall through the smaller ones, and they'll get sorted into different tanks, which, when I just say it like that, doesn't sound so awful, but in reality, it's it's just catastrophically stressful and painful for these fishes, because uh, it's, I mean, the tank is basically, like you said, more fish than water, so when this happens, it's it's this massive crowding of fishes going through these different holes and it rips off their scales and it's incredibly stressful and painful for them and that happens early on in their lives whenever the the farmer the the company is trying to sort of sort them out uh, into their the tanks that they'll eventually die in but um before they do this they starve them for usually at least a day because they don't they don't want a whole lot of excrement uh, to come along with the fish into the tanks when that happens. So there's that. That's the, like, the first thing that happens to them. Then <clears throat> uh, other fish, 
mostly salmon, but most fish get starved for at least 10 days before they get killed. Um, this kind of goes against what we might think of with other animals, with like uh, cows and pigs and chickens. Do you think that the the farmers want them to be as heavy as they can because you know that's how they get the money is, is the weight right but but as uh, those animals when they get killed they can just not take the stomach you know because that they, they they butcher it and they leave the pieces behind but the fish they're selling the entire fish so they don't want first of all they don't want stuff in the stomach because that's just bad product people buy your fish they don't want fish food in the stomach and second of all whenever the fish is being transported to where it's going to be killed they don't want the water to get the fish poop in it so fishes are usually starved for at least 10 days right before they get killed all that was so awful i yeah (laughs) i was thinking of a harry potter joke at first and then i just got very sad and now i don't want to make any jokes (laughs) no no it is it is quite awful and uh have you ever heard of uh sea fleas i have heard of those because these are sea lice well the sea fleas are a thing too but sea lice is the is the the real big problem especially with fishes that are farmed offshore so they sort of like you know it's a huge net and they're they're sort of living in the natural water but they're they can't go anywhere these sea lice are sort of like parasites and they will eat these fish's flesh and normally, you know, in a, under normal circumstances, the fishes would be able to do something more about this, you know, get away, fight back, you know, use, use other natural uh, defenses against them. But they can barely move. And these sea lice literally eat their flesh off and uh, sometimes down to the bone. Well, I'm thoroughly depressed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, sorry to take it there, guys. But, it's you know, all right. I mean, this is reality. This is what's happening, you know. Like we said, these fishes feel pain and suffer, and so it's not the more humane way to eat. While I would rather have people be pescatarian than just full-on carnists, I wouldn't want them to think that's enough. Right. Yeah, there's lots of pain and suffering involved with eating fishes. To transition to a deep but less depressing question, Uh uh, so Seth and I, we talked about, I think it was the, I always forget the name, uh, the octopus book. Oh, yeah. Um, the Soul of an Octopus. Yes. And a lot of problems with these kind of books is they say, look how amazing these creatures are, which we've already dove into the problems with that kind of rhetoric. But this creature is so great, so amazing. I love it so much. Let me keep it in a tiny cage for its whole life. And this right. guy yeah. is very pro having fish as pets. And I know a lot of vegans don't think having animals like fish... Fishes. We're going to be so drunk by the end of this job. I know, right? <laughs> fishes or spiders or lizards or snakes or even birds or things that really do not do well in these tiny, tiny cages. Having them as pets, they do not consider that to be vegan. So I want to get both your thoughts on whether or not owning fish in tiny cages like that is vegan. John, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, for me, I mean, I, I don't have a problem... If you're not, if it's a big enough aquarium and it's like maybe like one or two and it's like enough space for them. But yeah, I mean, fish want to live, 
fishes, I should say. Take a shot. <laughs> fishes want to be out in the open, like everyone's saying here, you know, I get it. But I mean, if you're going to have a fish or two, if you have the proper equipment for it, then I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, fishes are amazing animals and people want to see them and, you know, let them have a life. But yeah, I mean, you're actually kind of like helping them not have a horrible life because the other alternative is getting trapped in a fishing net and, you know, tortured for your entire life as a fish. So, I mean, you're kind of helping them in some ways and other ways. Uh, depends. Are you, well, are you, you're not adopting salmon or anything. I mean, <laughs> some people do. Some people do. But yeah, yeah, yeah. People do have fishes like that. All right, Seth. Well, it's actually a, a, a larger and weirder philosophical question, I think, than it appears at first. Fishes want to live in the wild, in, in open water, sure, but where does your dog want to live? Um, you know, where, where does your cat want to live? I mean, once, once you decide that you are the person of an animal that's in some form of captivity, you've made an interesting decision for that animal. And it's not that big of a difference to me whether you've got a dog or a fish. That's that's my first thought. My second thought is that it depends a lot on where you get this animal. So we have two fishes at my house. They're both bettas, and um, we got them. We, we quote-unquote, Craigslist rescued them from somebody who had them on Craigslist and couldn't keep them anymore and um, didn't know what to do with them. Um, in, that, in that instance, you know, if, I, if, I, if we don't get those fishes – you know, what's going to happen to them? You know, it's, uh, we're not putting any money into the pet stores that buy and breed these animals. So um, we are probably giving these fishes an incredibly better life than they would have had. So there's that aspect of it. Um, yeah, you shouldn't go to a pet store and buy an iguana and keep it in a, a four-foot cage for the rest of its life whenever iguanas don't want to live in cages. But if you can get an iguana that somebody's treating terribly or that's been seized by the authorities or that somebody's going to probably, you know, throw out into the woods because they can't keep it and you can give it a decent life in a cage, then that seems like the prerogative, that you, not the prerogative, but the priority uh, that you have to take. So there's my two thoughts on that subject. I always try and think of it as what's the alternative. So I agree that where it comes from does matter, but I was just thinking, if a pet store has an iguana in a cage, sorry, fishes, we got distracted We're talking about iguanas now. <laughs> if a pet store has an iguana in a cage, actually, let's go back to fishes. If a pet store has a fish in a ca cage, I'm just going to call it, if a pet store has a fish in a tank, there we go. There you go. And Seth does not go and buy that fish. It will die in that tank and probably have a crappy life in that tank because they're not going to take as good care of it as Seth would. So the alternative to it dying alone in a sterile environment with no stimulation would be Seth buying it and giving it a nice life. But at the same time, you're also promoting the commercialization of the life, but that one fish does not give a shit about the overall commercialization or industry or philosophy behind fishes. And that almost, don't throw anything at me, relates back to farm sanctuaries in a way where a farm can get rid of a goat on a farm sanctuary and that is giving it almost an out and saying well we can have this go here because we know there'll be farm sanctuaries around to take these goats and that'll give them a good life as long as 
we can unload them off on the farm sanctuaries, what we're doing isn't that bad. Because the alternative, the farm sanctuary having it is being in the farm. So you're giving a better life by having it on the farm sanctuary. But at the same time, you're letting the farm off the hook by making sure that they don't kill the goat. So the alternative to the fish in the pet store is life in your home, making it them okay for them to have the fish for their profit, knowing that they can still make their money because the fish will go to a good home. Yeah, it's tough. That's a tough um, line to sort of walk, you know, like... You, you want to save that fish, but you know that every time you buy a fish like that, you are providing demand. You're, you're showing demand for those breeded fish so, or fishes. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, my, my general thought is if you think that you're saving an animal, you're saving an animal. You know, like I, there's a lot of all these different thoughts and philosophies and people get really angry. But if you are in a pet store and you see a fish and you think I need to get this fish to save it and give it a good life, then, then do it. You know, that, that you saved it. That that's my opinion, but it's a lot of people get really angry about that opinion. I love that point of view. I notice I say this on my podcast where I'll just say, I love whatever you just said, but I do because I've been reading a lot of Greek philosophy and Epicurus is one of my favorite philosophers because he's a big proponent of emotions and feelings and senses and not trying to explain your way into every decision you make. But if you feel like you're saving a fish's life, that's the good thing to do. You don't have to sit here and logic and reason your way into making your decision right. Just follow how you feel, how your senses are leading you, how your emotions are forcing you to think. And that is the only reliable way to live your life. Right. But conversely, though, if you're in that pet store and you have the feeling that I can't possibly ever purchase an animal from this store, then that's the same. Then that's the feeling you get. You're 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 not any more obligated to save it or to, to buy an animal at a pet store than you are obligated to save it. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. But it sounds like the only ethical way is we all have to steal every fish from every pet store. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> John's going to walk into PetSmart with a camelback. <laughs> I'm on my way. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, that was my deep question. So uh, we have been on this podcast for a really long time. I know I have some editing to do, but I'm half tempted not to edit it at all and just leave it all in here. <laughs> but yeah, well, I, Let's just do a three-hour podcast. Let's no. just keep going. I'll just put on my Bluetooth and I'll just go to work the next day and I'll have a marathon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I've got a lot of pages earmarked in this book. I could probably go for another three hours. Well, how about we close off with everybody just saying their favorite fish? John, hmm. you want to start us off? Oh, man. Oh, you put me on the spot. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a tough um, one. <laughs> I really like angelfish. I think they're awesome looking and they do really cool things like um, swim. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I just I just think they look really cool. I just I always like them. I'll go next. Mine is sunfish because they look like half a fish. It looks like when you see an eighteen wheeler truck and it doesn't have a bed or a big container mm. in the back. It's basically that, but a fish, and they're huge and so goofy looking. And I don't know why God decided to cut it in half and only have it live with the front <laughs> half. <laughs> Because that's how creation works, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the pl look at the platypus, man. It's not everything makes sense. What about you, Seth? Uh, well, you know, I hadn't really thought about fishes a lot until a couple months ago. But at the same time that I read this book, we 
we got our friends uh, Jupiter and Gerald, who are our bettas. And so they're really the only fishes I've ever experienced very much close up. So they're my guys, man. These, these guys are amazing. They are, you know, I haven't experienced a lot of the super anthropomorphized things that you might read about in, in the book from these fishes, but they are super cool anyway. They are, uh, they make funny faces. They, they, they clearly get angry at us sometimes because they can, they flare their gills, which is really neat whenever they're kind of either, I don't know if they're scared or mad, but it's, they're, they're experiencing something and, um, they definitely know when we're coming over to them and they eat really cool it makes a noise i never thought about like you drop the pellet in there and and if you listen real close you go they like they chomp that food up it's can you make that noise again <laughs> yes please make that sound again <laughs> that's gonna be my new ringtone <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah the the betta fish or the or the siamese fighting fish yeah that's what they're actually mm-hmm. called yeah they are they're pretty cool guys yeah let's close out with uh rec- so Seth, recommend the book, yay or nay? <laughs> nay. I'm gonna say I'm going with nay. I'm saying listen to this podcast and you got it. Yeah, I yeah, I'm gonna say nay too. Think of a kind of fish, go to the Wikipedia page and read it. And that really tells you all you know. You don't need to read this whole book. You can just go on Wikipedia and look up a few kind of fishes and see how awesome they are. Yeah, or I mean and also uh fish feel pain, uh fish no no other fish. And fish remember things. So now you know what a fish knows, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be fun to edit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, give us an email over at bekindpodcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. What did you think of the book? Was it good? Was it bad? Are you outraged at anything we said? Let us know. <laughs> I'd just be happy to know someone listened all the way to the end. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Thanks for listening. Take care. <laughs>